found the Winding Road Podcast, hosted by Jason and Isaac. We're two friends who are sitting in the driveway just chatting about cars over some drinks, while two of our favorite cars are sitting behind us shining in the sun. We never know where the conversation will go, but we hope you join us. Hey everyone, we're back. This is episode five and coming at you from another show. Um, tonight, I want to start with, actually, I've seen over Jason's shoulder, there's like, a looks like an Explorer police cruiser. Is that correct? It is, yes. Tell me about that. What's beside it? So, interesting. Hey, let me grab it. So, um, I don't know if I told you about this, but I recently, not recently, a couple of years ago, I had come across um a guy in germany who puts lights into a uh, oh yeah what 118 scale vehicles right and i think i didn't I, I think i sent it to you right mm-hmm. so interestingly enough that took like almost a year to do and then i had gotten an auto art um 118 um lincoln navigator and i sent that to this guy and we can share his link on our social, but um, it's been almost two years and I haven't gotten this thing back yet. So hopefully it's almost done. But in the long story short, after that time, I started looking around for other things. And this is a Ford Explorer, uh, Philadelphia police. Okay. And this has lights on it. Nice. Oh, that's cool. It's, like, it's actually like pretty cool. Like, so it's not just like a Hess truck car. Like back in the early '90s, the Hess truck had a police cruiser, and yep. it was just a light bar on top. That's actually got. It's got the spotlights. It's got lights in the grill and the headlights flash and everything. That's. And it's got light bars in the back. That looks really good. I don't know if you can see in there, but even the, there's a computer in yeah. there oh, that sweet. has a light on it. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of cool. It it, uh, it has sirens too, but the batteries are kind of dead right now. So yeah. So my thought here's my thought behind this whole thing. The the car that I have here that I had lit up, which it looks realistic. You can put your foot in there or your finger and hit the brake, and it like the brake lights light wow. up. You, you can actually hit the gear shift. And put it in reverse and the reverse lights turn on it's like it's really insane like the dash lights up it's pretty crazy i'll have to show it to you in person um but i saw this i was like let me reach out to this guy and for a long time i thought i was getting scammed because the car was like the model itself was not cheap it was like 200 dollars or something like that and and then this guy wanted like i don't know eight or nine hundred dollars to like put these lights into it which I was like, that's crazy. Like, but it's, it's so realistic. And I thought to myself, I want to have my car, like my, my Mustang again. And I thought, well, I, I could spend like, a, you know, a lot of money for like this little tiny car and have it forever or go buy like the actual car again and have to maintain it, you know, spend thousands of dollars on the car. So that's how I justified it. <laughs> so, so it was like having the miniature car but not my real car. Yeah. So, look, I, it didn't cost me that much money because it took so long that 
he gave me a, a discount because it, it took forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure what's happening with the navigator because I sent it to this guy like two, literally two years ago. Oh wow! And you know, COVID screwed everything up. You know, he's in Germany, so it's it's t- it's tough. But so anyway, that's why I have this Explorer over here because. I was looking for like, I was like, you know, let me, let me see what I can find online, like on eBay, like similar to that. And I found this Explorer, which is really cool. You know, I like, I think it's cool. And then over here, this is my, um, I couldn't find any S3s. So this is just an Ooh. RS, it's an RS3. Yeah. I think it's like a, a 18 or 19. So nice. my, little, my little cars here. It's like my, you know, I don't have a real garage yet. You know, I can't, I can't fit all these cars in my, my real garage. So I'll have, a, I'll have the little ones for now to hold me off. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's really interesting. Like, um, it's pretty cool. Like, I have to, it, it doesn't do it justice um, if you don't see it in person. But it's, it's pretty cool how this person like lit this whole thing up, and it looks like, you know, very realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the I think he did a promo video or something that you showed me, and it was, and that one was just like basic stuff, like headlights, taillights, and uh, it it looked good. But that one, I I didn't expect to have that detail, like that much yeah. detail that it does. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's interesting. Something that you can't like buy in stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of talented people out there for sure. And I'm a light guy. It's weird. Like I'm, I'm into lights, and I've always had since I was a kid. And um, that's something that I still carry with me. Like, uh, like for instance, in in my Audi, um, everything's so crisp. I don't know what they use to illuminate the dash and stuff like that. But like, you know, the AC controls, everything's very crisp and lit up. Um, which is like a small thing, but again, it's attention to detail. And if you get if you get into a car that's a little bit, you know, step down, like like my rental Camry that I had, everything's probably I don't I don't even know if they use like regular incandescent light bulbs for the dash anymore. But it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. And for somebody like myself, it goes a long way to have you know everything like illuminated lit up properly and crisp and all that stuff like that and i was also thinking about i was driving home the other day and i had to stop at a store and then i uh, turned my car back on and i started thinking about like you know back you know not way back when but a couple of years ago xenon headlights used to be like the stuff you know what i mean like that was it you have xenons like you know that's cool mm-hmm. And going back to our Lincoln Mark 8 category, <laughs> um, that was like one of the first to have it back in, like, I think it was 95 that they had Xenons on there. Um, and now everything's LED, which is probably way cheaper. I think like uh, a Xenon bulb is like several hundred dollars, I believe. At least that's what mm-hmm. it used to be. Yeah. Um. But like I like that. I don't. I don't. 
I like that, like how you turn it on. It kind of like takes a little while to warm up. You know, you have like a, like a, like a purplish glow for a little while, and it turns, you know, hyper white. But now it's like that's like you don't want those. Like you want LEDs. That's like the upgraded package. Mm. So I kind of I, I don't know. It's just a thought I had today. It's interesting. We're not even seeing everything that you can do. Like, so our 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 lighting laws are. I think they're still based out of like the seventies really? and that what they found were what they found would be something that lights well, but mm-hmm. not also the, I think they use this term dazzle other drivers like blind you. Yeah. Um, but light, lighting has progressed like back in the seventies and eighties, Europeans thought that, um, yellow lights were best for like fog and and stuff like that. Then they found out that was incorrect. Um, But over the years, companies have been, you know, trying to find new, new things. And Audi is one of those, they'd like to be on the forefront of lighting technology. They said Mm -hmm. they really started pushing for that about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't actually see the, the correct product because our lighting laws, from what I know, um, they want the beam to project in a certain way. And if you look at a European beam, it's a different shape. Like ours, um, I don't remember the beam shape exactly, but it's in a certain way and they're both the same. Whereas Europeans, the left side, for example, if it's, if it's a left-hand drive car, the left side, which is closer to oncoming traffic, has one pattern and then the pa- the other side, the right side has a different pattern that illuminates higher and stuff. Wow. That was one, that was one stage. And they also have leveling in like all cars with certain types of headlights so mm-hmm. that if you have any kind of load in the rear, it automatically dips or raises the lights. Well then recently, you know, they've been lighting, working on um, laser light technology and matrix lighting technology. And they're two different things where they are still illegal in the United States, but it's because our laws are not keeping up with the times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way they're actually designed is they aren't as bright as you would think they would be as an oncoming person. Mm-hmm. But like, for example, the matrix, it can actually, the car will read an object in the future and turn off the LEDs so that the light of the beam of light actually goes around that that object that's crazy yeah so like if there's a a pedestrian it'll actually turn off like five or six leds so that it's going it's like a halo around that object but everything else is lit up and this is your this is euro spec or is this us yeah like they're i think they're trying to get matrix lighting here and we do have it to an extent on some of the newer audis like you can Mm -hmm. like the q4 that's coming out you can have like five or six different headlight signatures. So like certain LEDs are lit up, but that's not the same thing as the matrix lighting where it actually changes, like it'll um, illuminate some for the high beam or it'll illuminate part of the headlight for oncoming traffic and the rest of it's dimmed. And it's just, it's crazy if, to, if you look into it, you'll it's easier to view and visualize when you see it yeah, than right. just me trying to explain it. Um, but 
like we see all these these technologies coming and we just see wow these headlights are getting brighter and brighter and brighter because it's newer technology trying to be formed to work with our lighting laws and so the beam pattern is the same which is not correct for proper use of that system and it's just another way we lag behind europe um, yeah, I feel like I feel like you know I feel like we're always getting the short end of the stick with you know a, a European spec vehicle that's being now sent over to the United States. Um, they always, I feel like they, they even the seat like the seats, the lighting, things like that that, that are really cool and they look awesome and and um, and support you, but for some reason. You know, the United States, I guess, you know, like you said, the laws just don't facilitate us having them here, which is something like interesting that I've been seeing is I don't know much about the laws, but there are certain like if you can um, after a certain amount of time, you can import vehicles to the United States. I think it's like 20 years or something like that, maybe 20, 25 years. I think it's 25. Yeah. Um. So so like we're uh, we're seeing all these imported vehicles like left-hand drive vehicles or right-hand drive vehicles things like that um coming through but they're you know like, it's like a whole like genre ago you know that's but it's cool i like that but it's just um just a loss it's kind of don't facilitate us having i think they're cool vehicles sometimes right you know yeah I was watching a video about a year, year and a half ago. A guy was touring a, a storage warehouse in Japan where mm -hmm. this guy literally has every kind of R34 you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Two doors, four doors, wagons, um, automatics, manuals, base engines, twin turbo engines, all-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, any configuration you wanted, he had it. Mm -hmm. And you could buy the cars for like five or $10,000. But and if you know anything about the market, the market for those before COVID was like 60, 80 grand for like an R32, which is, mm -hmm. which is now legal to bring here. The R34s are still too new. R34, uh, that's the, um, are you familiar that's with the, the one uh, everyone thinks of? Like the Fast and Furious one? Yeah. Yeah, that's like an R34. That, that, that blue one that uh, Paul yeah. Walker had. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he's got this warehouse and you can buy one for like five or $10,000. But the kicker is you can't export it over here for like another 10 or 15 years. So he'll store it for you for a storage fee. Mm. So like for 10 years or whatever, he's storing this car for you and collecting that storage fee. And then all you have to do is you've already bought the car. Like you just have to get it shipped here and then titled here and registered and all that stuff that has to be a pain in the ass to do all those things i from what i've heard yeah because I, I, there's <laughs> what company did i hear of where they're doing it and it oh the company i'm thinking of they're importing newer stuff that's within 25 years but they actually yeah. have to modify them to go through crash and emission standards and so it drives the cost of the car up to like three four hundred thousand dollars oh my god yeah. Jeez. That's intense. Yeah. But I think what they do is they take like a couple of mule cars and they retrofit them 
and like have them crash tested. And if it mm. passes, then they can use the parts that they use to retrofit it on cars that they import to sell. Okay. So it's almost but, like a, a boutique manufacturer where they're modifying the cars to fit our standards. And then they're, the cost you're paying is pass is them passing on the, the amount of, you know, investment they have in to making this happen. Do you, do you think our standards are higher or lower than European standards safety wise? They're just different. Okay. Like we have different tests than they do. Like the NCAP test is different than the, the NHTSA tests and the IIHS tests. Mm -hmm. um, they're stricter in some ways. They're kind of more basic in other ways. And same with emissions. Like, I, well, I think emissions are more strict over there. Um, but like over there, you can have bumpers that are like flush, whereas ours to suit like a five mile, mile an hour crash test rating, they have to protrude a little bit. So if you ever look at like, you know, the original Countach when it was brought over, it had these like hideous bumpers attached to it. Mm -hmm. Or like the, the Di Diablo when it first came over and they added, when they first added the passenger side airbag, it had this like balloon on the, not a balloon, but it was like a, a lump on the passenger side of the dashboard. For the airbag? It, it, yeah, for the airbag. They just like cut a small hole in the dashboard to like run the, run the wiring through. Then they glued it to the dashboard. And so you just had this like, you know, the size of a shoebox sitting on your dashboard. Jeez. Because that's what they had to do to retrofit it. Wow, that's thing. So I'm like, what, like, what, a, like, what a piece of machinery to have to do that to. Like, you have you have you ever seen um, when somebody takes a, a pickup and they modify it, and the rear bumper is just flush with the tailgate mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. and the bedsides? Mm -hmm. A lot of cars like that are like that over in Europe, like like hatchbacks and stuff like that. They don't have like a bumper as we think of it sticking out from the car it's just flush on the back or on the front and that's for aesthetics that's just how the car was designed and it passed their crash standards but then to come here and be sold they had to be modified and the the bumpers have to protrude a little bit i just feel like a lot of times you know europe seems to have the performance variance a lot of vehicles and we and we don't get them for like several years later mm -hmm. like or at like all the, or at all yeah like i know that um like the focus st came over in the states i think like 2015 maybe and it had been running around europe for years and years and you know it took us forever to get that um and even when we got it it was not as performance oriented as the one in Europe was. Mm -hmm. um, I think the same thing for the S3. And I, I talk about the S3 because obviously I have one, um, but Europe had that for a long time and we never had it. I think there's like an S1 and maybe, I don't know if there's an S2, but there's definitely an S1 in Europe. That sounds awesome. Like that's so cool. Mm -hmm. We don't get any of that cool stuff. Yeah. Well, part of that is it doesn't make sense to from a business standpoint to Trent to um, import it here, mm. you know, for uh, the exchange rates for, for currencies and crash testing and emissions and stuff like that. And just market wise, 
like while there's room in those markets for a lot of small cars and, and niche vehicles yeah. and stuff, and there's right. not a lot of transport fees over mm-hmm. here, it takes a lot more to get that stuff over here because they have to crash test them all in a different way than the European crash test. And no one's going to, very small people are going to buy an S1 here because it's like mm-hmm. a Polo. Um, that's more performance oriented. We tend to think the more expensive a car is, the bigger it should be and more luxurious. Whereas that's not necessarily the case over in Europe. You can have a luxurious economy car or a small car because they need small vehicles for their infrastructure and things like that. Yeah, makes sense. For example, a GTI in Germany probably costs about twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars, where here it's like thirty-five. Mm-hmm. Because of just everything that's added in. Do you think it's a similar situation with like a uh, like a Mustang? You know, X amount of dollars in the U.S. and then something over Europe, and it's you know another whatever it costs there. I think it is. But they probably have to retrofit those things a little bit too, because our rear-facing fog lights in Europe, um, like, is that something they need? Because I feel like a lot of cars have them, and I feel like I've seen a lot of American cars that don't have them in the states have like a retrofit rear rear-facing fog light in Europe. I believe it is a regulation to have rear fog lamps. And also amber turn signals. Oh, yeah, that's one of them, yeah. Yeah, or um, auxiliary taillights. So, like, if you ever look at the back of a car, you can mm-hmm. tell where the main markets are or where it was designed sometimes because if it has amber turn signals, it's potentially either started or was a focus of the, you know, s- some other market somewhere else in the world. But mm-hmm. if it's all red, then it's probably American to begin with it's not like built or assembled or um brand even just the market that they were focusing on first Mm -hmm. and while it's not always the case because they can just put different taillights on a car for a different country some manufacturers decide to have one taillight for the entire world and that's when you'll see red and amber in the same light every car to my knowledge has to have reverse fog lights in Europe and you have to know how to use them properly. Like, I don't think you're allowed to use actual fog lights unless there's fog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rear fog lights, I think you can only use in certain situations too, because they are brighter. They look like brake lights. So some people, mostly in America, cause we're not used to seeing them. We think that someone's constantly braking, but it's actually, mm-hmm. if you look at it, it's a different light than the brake lights mm-hmm. or you'll see like in my car, it only has one rear fog mm-hmm. light mm-hmm. and it's on the side of traffic that the car would be on if it was on the shoulder. So like if I'm on the shoulder of the road, the left-hand brake or the left-hand fog light is what lights up. So that way, you know, like where the edge of the road is, it's on the right side, you know. Um, is, that if you're, is that if you're parking or is that if you're like actually on the road side? Um, both. So like if you're mm-hmm. stranded on the side of the road you, you, and you turn it on, they can see kind of where the edge of the car is if there's low visibility. And then um, I'm not sure the thought process behind it if you're driving, but like my Audi wagon had both. Mm-hmm. My Golf didn't have any and my Cayman has one. So 
I might try to see if there's a retrofit for the Cayman like there was with the Golf. Mm-hmm. With the Golf, I could take the whole taillight assembly out and there was um, this panel on the back of it that had the circuit board and there was the top light, the middle light, the bottom light, reverse light, and then a, an open spot. So the top was a brake light, the middle was a, 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 a running light, like it was always on. The bottom was a brake light and then there was the reverse light, obviously. The empty spot was where the, the fog lights go for the rear. Mm-hmm. And so what people did, the circuit was there, it all worked, it just wasn't hooked up. So you could put a bulb in and then run a wire from the top bulb, which was a brake light, um, a power wire down to the other light, and then you had power. And so whenever I hit, they call it the five brake light mod. Whenever I pushed the brakes, I had the third brake light above the hatch, and then I had the normal brake lights and the rear fogs were being used as a brake light as well. That's cool. Yeah. So I just want to see if I can wire it so that I have dual rear fog lights on the Cayman. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't like running a single fog light on like ever really, because it looks like you have a taillight out. And right. so I don't, want, right. I don't want to get stopped by a cop that doesn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Because why would he? that I have it's a single rear fog light. So I'm going to see if there's a way I can wire up the other one. I just have it. It's not high on my priority list. So I just, it's right. something to look into. Sure. Sure. It's, it's just interesting how, I guess, you know, different laws and countries and regulations do things differently with vehicles. I'm starting to see um, those and events and things start to pop up, which is exciting. I saw, uh, something in Hershey called Wags and Wheels. Okay. Which I thought was cool. It's like an adoption kind of thing for dogs. And this, you know, it's a good way to get, get the wife out, you know, to a car show. Is whose wife doesn't like animals. <laughs> Have you ever been out to Hershey? Yeah, I grew up out that way. Um, so I've been to, I actually, I don't know. I might've been to one or two car shows at the Hershey facilities. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I actually judged at a Carlisle show twice um, at the GM show, the all GM. Oh, National. Yeah. Two years. And somehow a friend of mine knew what somebody. What are you doing at GM nationals? Yeah. It was a friend of mine knew somebody that uh, worked for that, for the, for the Carlisle events group mm-hmm. and they just needed some judges and I was free. So one was, you know what? One might've been Ford. Maybe I just went to that show. I don't remember. Um, but anyway, I have two jackets from the GM shows. Um, That's cool. But then they, just, they just needed judges. So I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I was early twenties. I had nothing to do. So um, you basically walk around, they give you a, a group of cars to look at or two or three groups and then you look at them and you you judge them however you see fit and then mm-hmm. you get like lunch and you look get to look at cars all day long and it was good do they um do they vet you at all like no they, so it's like anybody can do it it's, for the most part um definitely wasn't like a concourse event where you know you have to know what you're talking about it was, yeah, right. it was definitely subjective um, based uh-huh. on the judges 
yeah. opinions and stuff like that. I try to be, you know, relatively unbiased. Um, luckily, it was an older show, so you can kind of, or a show for older cars, so mm-hmm. you can kind of say, oh, you know, this one's pretty original, or this one is modified in a certain style, like a retro mod or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you kind of knew what kind of class you were looking at. Mm-hmm. So it was easier that way. It's not like you were judging, like, if it was, you know, like a hot import. I don't know if you remember hot import nights from like the early 2000s, but yeah, like yeah. A, an import tuner scene, you know, yeah. there's all kinds of different categories there. And it's, I feel like it'd be about your own personal opinion about whether or not you like that style of vehicle. Like, don't right. put me in a car show judging stance cars because every single one of them is going to fail because I don't yeah. understand stance whatsoever. <laughs> me, uh, me, uh, I hate that. But to but some people do like them and they would judge it differently. So, you right, know. right. Yeah, I should be more, I guess, non-judgmental because yeah, we all we all like what we like. Exactly. Yeah, I just look at it from a functional standpoint. Like, one, you're going to wear your tires out in about three feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two, it's not you're you are destroying any kind of handling you have, any kind of ride quality you have. It's just it's all for a certain look and it's, you know, 15 years ago, we were trying to find camber kits so that we could correct the camber so that our mm-hmm. wheels didn't do that. And now people are trying to make <laughs> another way to the opposite extreme. Yeah. Maybe I'm just, and I bet, old. I'm getting, uh, old. I, don't, yeah. I, I don't understand like the, what do they call them? The, the trucks that have the rear lowered and the front raised. I think they call it the Car- the Carolina Squad or something like that. Yeah. Or like I'm not sure what it, what there's one style called the Dunk. I think it's the one where it's like the car that's jacked up on like 26 inch wheels. Yeah, like the like the Crown Vix that has you know 30 inch wheels yeah. and no rubber on them. Yeah. yeah. There's like that whole style. There's like what I don't understand right now is guys will take trucks and they'll lift them and then they'll put you know. 22 inch wheels which actually aren't that big on a full-size truck with mm-hmm. super low profile tires but they're they're mud tires so like they're all-terrain tires which are they're two counter they're they are they go against each other either either have a mud tire with a big sidewall that can do what you want to off-road or mm-hmm. low profile so it handles well mm-hmm. but this is like a mixture of the two and i just and then it sticks out like four inches from the side of the truck and there's no fender flares and yeah, I'm getting I'm getting old. I don't understand any of it. I don't I don't know. I mean this this could this conversation could go down a whole different wormhole <laughs> about society in general, but I will keep it to cars. And uh, personally, I agree with you. I think a truck should be a truck. You know, a car should be a car. And I'm all about modifications. I think I just think that a modification should be tasteful. Uh, and in my well, personal, tasteful? that's the thing. <laughs> well, yeah, right. So in my personal opinion, which could vary, you know, obviously it's going to vary from anyone else's personal opinion, keeping it close to stock as possible is, is what I like mm-hmm. to do. Um, you like the OEM yeah. plus. Yes. Yeah. I'm OEM plus. That's me. Yeah. But Hey, look, we're all car people, you know, uh, yep. I support, I support the car culture. Um, but this is just what I like myself. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we're all just enjoying our cars. That's right. Whatever you know, whatever makes you happy, get out there, 
drive your car, go to shows, enjoy yourself. That's what it's all about. I think this month, end of this month, uh, Radwood is going to be in Austin. Have you ever seen anything with Radwood or know anything about Radwood? it? Radwood? Yeah. No, I'm not sure what that is. I think it's, from what I understand, because I really don't know much about it, I'm kind of new to hearing about it. Mm-hmm. It's a classic car show for 80s and 90s cars. Oh, that'd be awesome. I love that. So, like, basically anything that, you know, millennials have, or even, like, late Gen Xers, um, mm-hmm. all of the cars that we've all been interested in, it's all of those cars. So, like, you know, 80s cars, 90s. I think the newest it could be is late 90s, somewhere in there. So, you've mm-hmm. got, like, you know, the CRX. SI would be there and mm-hmm. um, the Grand National GNX is there. Uh, mm-hmm. But what's also cool about it is people kind of like the, you know, the old 50s and 60s car mm-hmm. guys do is people will go there and dress up like in 80s and 90s clothing or mm-hmm. like um, just that theme. It's almost like going to a sock hop for the 50s crowd, you know? Yeah, it's really cool. You said it was in Austin, Texas? So the next one coming up is, uh, yeah, Austin at Circuit of the Americas uh, Racetrack. Huh. I'll have to check it out. I've never of, heard of it before. Yeah, I think they do a couple throughout the country. So there, I'm sure there's one coming to the East Coast at some point. I still don't know when or where. I like that idea a lot. That sounds awesome. I've always wanted to go to like a, like a, Meekum, like a Meekum Auto Auction, too. Hmm. Those are always fun to watch and see, you know, see what all the crazy cars are on there. I'm pretty sure that's based out of Scottsdale like, most of the time. I don't know. I think I think it's where the auction genre kind of started with mm. what was before Meekum? It was um it was a different it was a different auction company before them. Like Meekum's pretty for me it's pretty new. Uh, yeah, me too. I couldn't tell you. I'm not sure. That's bugging me. The listeners are going, oh, it's so-and-so, you know. What? They that's, can help us. that's bugging me, though, because they were, I think the one I'm thinking of, they had a big show in, in Scottsdale, and they had a big show in Florida. Okay. Like, those were their two big locations. I can't even do it. I was going to do a quick Google search, but. That's what I'm doing now. <laughs> Barrett-Jackson. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Oh, my God. Oh, oh man. I yeah. should have known that. Yeah, we both should have known that. Jeez. Well, they're still around, though. Yeah. I think they're kind of, like, passe now, though. I feel like uh-huh. Meekum, for some reason, is kind of taking over. At least that's what's oh. on TV shows. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they're starting to hang it up. So, you're you're back on uh, the, the thought process of modifying the S3, huh? Thinking about it, yeah. Um, everything that's going on right now with how expensive used cars and new cars are, and um, I, I personally like to hold on to my stuff for a little while anyway. And I think that what's going on in the world and the, the economy right now just makes me want to hang on to my car more. Yeah. But I'm the kind of guy I get, I don't want to call it bored, but I always like to do something, you know. So I'm starting to think, what can I do next that can be, you know, reverted back to stock if if I need to, 
and won't really affect drive quality or drivability or reliability or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to think about that stuff. Um, it was pretty warm today. It was like 45, 50 degrees out there. So I got out there. Um, yeah, I, I cleaned the interior out. For Christmas, I got this Waterless car wash. Okay. It's from Chemical Guys. Um, so I was thinking about doing that today. And it's, I just couldn't get it together. I just didn't think doing it. And it, it worries me, honestly, because, you know, my car, the paint is pretty good on it. But, um, yeah, there were always, like, some scratches here and there, you know, to 2016. So I wasn't really that concerned if I put some swirls in it or whatever, if I used a water's car wash. Whenever since I got the car back from getting fixed, you know, it has, like, it's the whole rear from the from – the, they repainted the rear quarters, both sides, and the whole back, the, the trunk bumper cover everything is all brand new paint um and i I think that they may have waxed it because it's all like like the whole car is like really smooth and even some of the paint chips on the hood don't look as bad as they used to like wow this thing looks great like i'm going to keep it that way so i'm very much afraid that if i use like a waterless car wash i'm going to put swirls or whatever into the into this brand new paint that i have so I'm apprehensive to do any of that right now. So I didn't do it today. So we'll see. I don't know. I got to find, I was thinking about like wordless car washes or not wordless, touchless. I heard that Westchester has a good one. There's one near me, but it's like, doesn't really do that good of a job. Cause like the winter time is hard, you know, it's freezing out there, but we all want our cars to look nice. Right. Right. And right now it looks like crap. It's like salt yeah. and dirt all over it. My rims are black. I think Audi chose like, the dustiest pads that you can find because I can't, like if I wash my rims, I'll drive down the street and there'll be brake dust on them already. You know what we should do, which I still haven't done it myself, but I've heard it works really well. Ceramic coat your wheels. Mm. Because from what I hear, you can pretty much hose off the brake dust. Really? Yeah. It probably protects the rims too from like fading and chipping maybe. Uh, maybe, but it definitely makes them easier to clean. I haven't gotten around to that. Um, and I've been, I also have a waterless washing kit that I bought Mm -hmm. and like it's sitting in the garage and I've had a couple of weekends where I could have done it. And I'm like, well, I don't really feel like it, or I'd rather do something else. Mm-hmm. and then so i thought about trying it on her car because her car is not as dirty because it sits inside and she doesn't drive as much and i'm like well no mine's dirtier mine should really be done but then i'm like it's almost kind of too dirty because it's covered in salt and i don't know if i want to do that and i've really just been making up excuses to not do it because whatever but one of these days i have to try it because i bought the stuff i got to use it um are you afraid but, of scratching it because it's so dirty no that's, more, that's my fear is I'm more afraid of going through all the microfiber towels. Like I wash mm-hmm. them, but like I think I think I have like 26 towels. So the kit I have is from Ammo NYC, and he's got a really good kit. Um, and the way he describes doing it is you you kind of do like a surface that's maybe 18 inches long, and you like roll the towel, and then by the end you flip the towel over, and then you do the next spot. And so basically to do a car, you're looking at using 
8, 10, 12, 14 towels so that mm -hmm. no one dirty spot of towel is used on the car again because mm -hmm. he's really, you know, OCD about a lot of things. And so that's his technique to avoid any kind of scratches. Obviously, he's like, I always promote doing whatever technique uses as much water as you can and as much soap suds as you can to create the lubrication and lift the dirt off of the car surface. But in certain situations like you, where you have water limitation mm -hmm. or like us in general, where it's really cold outside, you want to find alternates. So I just, that was why I got the kit. I just haven't gotten around to doing it. So we'll see maybe next weekend. Cause a lot of the salt has been washed off from the rain we got. So now it's just a dirty car again. Mm -hmm. and not super salty so i'm not really worried about it now but this weekend's valentine's day so i may or may not do it this weekend i might do it next weekend i have to figure out what i'm going to do i need to look into some things i just wish i had a hose when i was a kid uh, i would put like rubber gloves on underneath my mitt so that like, my hands wouldn't freeze off i'd go out there in, like january with a hose and just have you know like basically in freezing cold and just wash the car, but I don't have that option anymore. You could probably fill a bucket, right? Mm -hmm. with, with like a wash solution. And mm -hmm. then like the hoseless, the waterless wash you have, do you add it to some water and then you just wipe it dry? Is that what you do? So I had, I got a waterless like wash from the car show that I was at years ago. And that you added to water. And it was like very, um, it's weird. It's like a weird feeling. Like my hands would always feel weird when I was done with it. So you would, you would, you would, you know, put your mitt in, um, rub it off, and then, you know, wipe that area dry with a clean microfiber towel. Um, this stuff, I was reading about it today. Uh, you spray it, if you spray it onto the vehicle, and then you wipe it off with a microfiber. So it's 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 literally no water. Like the other one, you had to put water in. Like, you know, I would put like a, a hot bucket of water so like my hand wouldn't be cold. Um, this stuff doesn't use any of that. I just I'm apprehensive about it. I can't. Uh, my car needs a bath really bad, but I just I don't want to I don't want to be the guy that puts the first scratch on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think I think if you get you know a good set maybe like a dozen or um like high quality microfiber towels and mm. use a wash the waterless wash with the proper technique i think you'll be okay the key is just lubrication and not having the surface too dry yeah like over overusing the 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 product like if it's in a sprayer like just spray the crap out of it so it's nice and and soapy right, yeah. and then just dry it off yeah i definitely need some more microfibers i mean i probably have like 20 or so but that's a good amount yeah my personality though like i like to get every bit of what i can out of it out of, out of the one you know what i mean so like i would probably try and squeeze as much as i could out of one towel which will probably you know i would probably cause scratches or something so I need to get that out of my head and just use like a new towel. I don't know if I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I, in my storage cabinet, I have a whole shelf of different colored towels, and they're 
they're labeled for what each one does. Um, mm -hmm. And I actually have, I have a handful I need to wash, but you have to wash, they're kind of a pain because you have to wash them separately. separately and then what? You can't, like then clothes or separately? And anything. Yeah. Any other fabric is going to create some amount of lint and mm -hmm. it's going to stick to the microfiber and then you like almost can't get it off. And so you have to wash them separately. And then because it's a synthetic product, you have, when you dry them, you either want to like air dry them, or if you put them in the drying machine, put it at the lowest temperature possible and let them basically air dry that way. So you can't, it's inconvenient because you can't wash it with other stuff and you can't dry it very quickly. Interesting. You all have to make sacrifices for a beautiful car. I have to keep that in mind. Where do you get your microfibers from? <laughs> so Sarah thought I was crazy because two years ago I asked for them for Christmas. So she's like, I was buying all of these microfiber towels and I, this just seems ridiculous. Um, she got them off of Amazon, but they're from a company called, it's, they're called Eagle Edgeless, but they have different weights and qualities. Um, mm -hmm. The rag company is who sells them. Mm -hmm. It's called the, the ragcompany.com. And Eagle Edgeless is like their highest seller. And they have different weights of fabric and naps and things like that based on what the usage is going to be. Okay. And so you can get one that's really soft and plush, like a stuffed animal or something that, or, or like, just the softest thing you can think of. It's like that, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you can't use it for like wax because it cakes up and fills up really easily. Mm -hmm. And then they make when ones that are specifically for glass or they make ones that are like a middleweight so they can be versatile. I have some that are dual sided. So the one side is really fine. And one side is really open weave so that they have different functions. And then they have ones that have an edge sewn onto them and some that are edgeless and just cut in a certain way. Um, so they have a lot of different options, but you can, you can get them on Amazon and it's directly from um, the rag company, but their packages, like their three and four packs tend to be a little bit more cost effective if you get it from Amazon versus directly through them, which I think is kind of counterintuitive. Yeah. I feel like that happens a lot though for some reason. I'm not sure why, but. I've seen that happen with different products. Then you have to have your microfibers for the interior work as well. Oh, I do. I have, like, the one color is for interior. The one color is for wheels. One color is for wax. One color is for polish. One color is for uh, spray wax. One color is for spot drying. And then there's one for glass. Um, some of them, I one's for uh, multi-use. Mm. But what it comes down to is, like, the ones for wax and polish and, and spray wax and spot dry, I can kind of use them interchangeably. Mm -hmm. I more so wanted to have different colors for each of those in case I wanted to, to do a certain function. I don't know. It's just kind of what I wanted to do. But then like the interior one, I use the ones that have the, the two different sides. And then the wheels, I have a certain color because the wheels, I don't want to use on anything else. Once you use a a towel on a wheel or mm -hmm. a, a sponge or a pad or anything on a wheel because of the brake dust and the iron that's in the brake pad material, you mm -hmm. don't want to use it on your paint, your car's paint ever again. And mm -hmm. so Even those if you I wash that. Yeah. 
So like you can demote a towel from like any kind of painted surface to a wheel towel, but it never goes from a whale to paint. That's good to know. So, and then like I got a couple of, I've had one bucket, I've gotten two more buckets. So this year I'm going to start doing the three bucket method where there's a soap bucket, a rinse bucket, and then a wheel bucket. Mm. Um, so you can further separate the contaminants. But my wash routine's already two hours. So I'm trying to, and I'm getting a little bit more efficient at it, but I'm also adding things at the same time. So. And that's just purely exterior? What's that, the two hours? Yeah, this is all exterior, no interior? No, it's, so my, currently what I do is I'll rinse it with the power washer and then I'll snow foam it. I'll rinse it again. And then I take soapy water with, with um, a microfiber towel and I'll hand wash it and then I'll rinse it. And then separately from that, like first I'll actually do the wheels. So I'll do the wheels first after I rinse the whole car. Uh, and then when I'm drying the car, I'll open all the doors and the trunk and the, the hood, and then I'll dry all the jam. And then I dry or I wipe down the glass. And depending on how the interior looks, I'll wipe down the leather or um, some interior trim panels, depending on how dusty they are or whatever. But like the, the jams I've, I do now every time. I used to always forget about it, but it makes such a difference. Mm-hmm. especially on the Cayman, the way the sills are, the water really sits there and looks terrible when you open the doors. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the glass and the interior, I kind of take a I look at it and see how it is and if I want to do it or not. But in general, two hours covers everything except uh, interior. That's so not terrible, it, though. I mean, that's in, pretty good. Yeah, it includes the glass, like at least just wiping it down and putting a glass cleaner on the side windows and then the jams, then once the tires dry, like maybe the next day, I'll go out and I'll put tire shine on them. But mm. that's not something I do every time. I think one of these episodes we should do I6 car care routine. I'm by no means an expert. <laughs> I've, I, I mean, just, I use some things that I've learned over time from watching people do things. I mean, it sounds pretty good to me. I'm definitely more detailed than I was. Yep, it's all about knowledge. So thanks again, everyone, for joining us. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you again and having you on the next episode with us. Uh, You can reach us by email with your questions or comments or show suggestions or guest suggestions. Reach us by email at windingroadspodcast at gmail.com or you can send us a message on Instagram or comment on one of our photos or just interact with us there. Windingroadspodcast with an S, windingroads at gmail.com or Winding Roads Podcast on Instagram. So see you next time, guys, and I look forward to seeing you again.